We'll take your Bible this morning, turn to Matthew chapter number 13. It's been a little while since we've been in our series in the Gospel of Matthew, but we're going to continue today. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. Matthew chapter number 13. <clears throat> Jesus is King. He is King. That's what our series is in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is presenting Him as King. And so we're following along here in uh, Matthew chapter number 13, and we're covering the parables uh, that Jesus used to teach his disciples about what uh, would happen. It really, as they would go out and preach everywhere, they would have a number of responses. And so he's really helping them, and thus that helps us. Now, we want to make sure everybody here gets to hear the gospel. So somewhere I'm going to insert the gospel in the midst of our morning, Sunday morning services um, because uh, that's the most important message you'll ever hear in your whole life is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. There's a lot of bad news in the world, but there's good news that Jesus died for you and was buried and rose again. That's the good news. All right, let's look at a few verses here uh, leading up to our text. So look at verse number one. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number one says, the same day, went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And then he gives what's known as the sower and the seed. We'll review this since it's been a little while. I think it will help us all to kind of get caught back up to speed. Verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And then he gives explanation as to what the various parts means. The seed is the word of God that is preached in all the world. And then there's four responses to it. We'll look at that in just a moment. Verse 24, another parable. Another parable put he forth unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while, he, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Tares would be, uh, well, we would be most familiar with like weeds. They look like weeds. Look in its early stages though, it looks a lot like wheat or wheat looks a lot like tares, however you want to say that. And you can't really tell the difference until the harvest time because wheat has fruit or it has a head, you know, with grain and the weeds do not, uh, not like it does in wheat. Okay. So he gave that parable. All right. Um, and then if you, uh, if you will look at verse 36, then sent Jesus the multitude away and went into his house, into the house rather, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So I'm thankful that Jesus explained this one and helped us all. All right. I wish that the disciples had asked more questions sometimes so we get an explanation of all the others. But the reason I'm mentioning these others is that what we can do is take what Jesus did in explaining the parables that he did explain. And take that approach towards understanding the parables that he did not specifically explain. And use those same principles in our understanding. Otherwise, you come up with some really weird ideas. Now our parable. Verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed, Jesus says, and they would know this, which indeed is the least of all seeds, the least of all the seeds they would have known. 
the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So it grows from an um, itty-bitty seed, <laughs> just a teeny tiny little seed, and it grows into a, a, a plant that grows about 10 to 12 feet tall. Quite significant, quite significant. Well, you think in our times, in our area here, you take that little acorn and you see what a mighty tree it becomes from that little bitty seed. Another parable, I'm looking at verse 33, 33, our final verse this morning. Another parable, spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Leaven, uh, you might say yeast. It would take a little bit of the old bread and put in a new lump so it would leaven the lump, the loaf. You like bread? Oh yeah. Maybe some restaurant you're about to go to is going to have complimentary bread. <laughs> You're probably paying for it, but sure feels good. Sure tastes good. Sure is good. Yeah, if it's risen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. The kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All right, so we need to understand that, and, but, which by the way, that's actually a lot, of, a lot of meal. That's a lot of dough. And so there's just this little bit of leaven inserted in it, hidden, obscure, small in comparison, leavens the whole lump. So this morning, the title is simply this, from a humble beginning, from a humble beginning. You know, this church used to meet in a building about um, half the size of this platform, a concrete building right over here, about where the real people's classroom meets. You've seen some pictures of it. It was our humble beginning. So, Father, I thank you for it. Uh, help us now in the preaching hour. Help me to explain these two parables, how they're linked together, what they mean, and to be careful not to convey what they don't mean. And I'll thank you for it. Help us, though, to make good application. Pray it be encouraging uh, to everyone that hears. And I do pray again for those that maybe don't know Jesus as Savior. I want to pray that you'd speak to them even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Typically, when a king begins to describe his kingdom, or when he's showing someone his kingdom, they'll use uh, adjectives, glowing adjectives of power and prestige, right? Power and prestige. If you describe the kingdom, I, don't you know that even as the queen of Sheba came and saw the, well, she saw the throne room of Solomon and the staircase leading up to and all the attendants that were there, she said, the half has not been told to me. And she, don't you know when she went home and they asked her, well, 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 what was it like? She didn't say, eh, it's all right. No, she said, you would not believe the splendor and the kingdom and the, uh, all the majesty of Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon. Oh, my soul, I was breathless just seeing it. When kings or others describe kingdoms, they 
typically speak of the extent of their domain or the victories over their enemies or the glory of their wealth. In Matthew 13, King Jesus is describing his kingdom. And he says this, it's like a little seed. <laughs> where's the power? Where's the glory? Where's the wealth? You barely see it if I held it up to you right now. Just a little bitty seed. I don't have one in case you're wondering, but use your imagination. <laughs> it's like a little seed. Or I'll tell you what else it's like. It's like that leaven that that woman took and she hid it in the lump of dough. And next thing you knew, it was risen. <laughs> My grandmother doing that, you know, and, and those uh, homemade biscuits rising and those rolls rising. And I mean, you know, I, I like to, anyways, I can't get off on that. It's too close to lunchtime to really elaborate. How could something with such a humble beginning result in something that has such global impact? You think about it. That church that Jesus started, his 12 disciples and the women that joined in with them, 120 on the day of Pentecost, just a really small, insignificant band of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here we are, over 2,000 years later, gathered, running buses, bringing in as many people as we can and seeing people saved and people added to the church and Sunday school classes. I just had the privilege of being in the Family Foundations class and they had a big breakfast and then a, a devotion and maybe 60, 70 people gathered together there. I mean, how has it got all the way from a little town called Bethlehem and then to Nazareth and then to Jerusalem. And how has it made it all the way to Oklahoma City? Yay, and all the way up to Ponca City. How does something so small have a global impact? Well, our Lord came to seek and save that which was lost. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all broken God's commandments, haven't we? We've all broken God's commandments, and yet He loves you. Yet He loves us, and, and He loves you so much. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, I wonder who that includes. Everybody. That includes you, in case you're wondering. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. You, you want to know how to be saved today? You want to know how to be forgiven of your sin? Well, what do I have to do? You might say, what do I have to do? What, what church do I have to join? How, how, uh, what baptism do I need to have? What, what good things do I need to do in order to be saved? Nothing. Nothing. You can't do enough good things to make up for the bad things that you've done because Jesus did everything that's necessary for you to be saved. He died on that cross in your place, dear friend. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? Because God didn't send his son. He sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And you get saved, you get born again. That um, may not be good grammar, but it's good doctrine. Uh, you are saved by belief. You're saved by simple faith in what Jesus did. Simple faith in who he is and simple faith in what he did. That's the gospel. Now, not everybody believes that. 
Not everybody receives that message. I know the vast majority here has, but there may be someone here today and you're hearing what I just said. I, I just, I explained to you really what you need to know to be saved in about three minutes. That was really short. If you want to know more at the end of the end of the uh, service today, we're going to have an invitation inviting you to come and somebody will take the Bible and just show you from the word of God how you can be saved. But it really is that simple. But you, give, you could give one of four responses. As Jesus is explaining these parables to his disciples, he says, everybody that hears the word, the sower going out and sowing the seed, it's going to be like this, disciples. Some is going to fall on ground that's hard ground because they've heard it all before. Some of you here today may be that hard soil. God wants to speak to you, but you're not letting him speak to you. I hope that's not you. I, I, I'm not trying to accuse anybody, but if that's you, then open up your heart and let God speak to you. Amen. Amen. Everybody here would say amen to that because uh, they know your great need is your greatest need is spiritual and that is to be saved. So don't be hardened against God, but some of you might be hardened because of things that have happened in your life or you think you don't need this Jesus stuff. I'm telling you, friend, if you die without Jesus, you'll realize how much you needed him. Some of you might be hardened against God. Some of you might be shallow. The other soil that he talked about was shallow soil and, and how that it didn't have much depth to it. And, and some seem to make a a, a salvation profession, but you don't see any fruit. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about that because, because uh, when Jesus moves in, there's going to be a difference. There's going to be a difference. Uh, I remember our, our pastor, uh, previous brother Sam, as our pastor emeritus now, he said, if a tornado goes across Moore or through South Oklahoma City, you're going to know it. And we about knew it last night, right? I mean, had all of us uh, alert. Right. And I don't I, I actually didn't watch all the news to know even what has happened around the state. But but when a tornado comes through, friend, it, it has an effect on something. When Jesus moves in, I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of creation, the one who spoke the world into existence. That'll have an impact on your life. Some are shallow soil. And then some, uh, some are the type of soil that's like the seed that fell among the thorns and the, and the cares of this world and the riches of this life. It chokes the word so that it does not have an impact. I wonder which of those three you might be. But here's a, here's a better soil, good soil. Good soil just means that it's, it's open to what God says and, and the word of God, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has an impact in your life. He saves you and fruit begins to come. He gave that parable. He gave another parable about the wheat and the tares and how that a man went out and sowed his field. And the field is the world, Jesus said. The field is the world. And, and he explained that and how that he sowed the seed everywhere. And some believed, but then an enemy came, namely Satan, and, said, and he sowed rather tares or weeds among the wheat just to disrupt the harvest. And, and so the, the reapers came and said, uh, Master, there's been some, some terrors and an enemy has done this, the owner said. And, and they said, well, do you want us to tear out the weeds? And he said, no, let them grow together. Let them grow together. And then at the harvest, we'll know which is which because the fruit will re reveal it. Let me ask you this morning, is there fruit in your Christian life? Can you see that, that uh, there's love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and temperance and faith? I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, is there fruit in your life? If not, you really ought to evaluate your spiritual life. But Jesus said that right now as we go into all the world, that there are going to be those who look like Christians. They name Christianity. But listen, friend, if they have not believed the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it does not matter what name they give themselves. They may be weeds among the wheat. 
It's a sobering message. It can happen in a church as well. The field is the world. The field is not the church. That's not what Jesus said. But what happens in the world can also happen in church. So everybody here ought to make sure that you're saved. Jesus gave those two parables to illustrate that as you go and do the work of the gospel, that you're going to have results. You're going to have varying results. And don't be surprised. Don't be derailed when there's a lot of religious confusion that's out there because Satan is doing his work to blind the minds of people, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. Another parable spake he unto them. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, one thing we haven't done in our course of uh, considering the book of Matthew here is to consider what does he mean by kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God? Are those synonymous terms? Well, in Matthew, he refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. In Mark, he refers to this same parable as the kingdom of God. So which is it? Well, I believe they're synonymous. I don't think there's any distinction you can make between the two kingdoms because it's used in the same parables. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. So why does, why does Matthew refer to it as this kingdom of heaven? Well, his audience is largely a Jewish audience. And they had such regard for the name of God that oftentimes they would not say God's name. So let me illustrate this. When the uh, prodigal son came home, he said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And what was he meaning? Well, I've sinned against God. But heaven represents God. Okay, um, we say the White House said today. Well, the White House didn't say it, but the, the person in the White House did. Are you following what I'm saying right there? Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. By the way, um, kingdom, you need to, there's four possibilities of kingdom even when you study the Bible. The Bible talks about God being king of the universe. He's king overall. Then you have kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is explaining here as he gets into these parables and saying you're going to have believers and unbelievers growing together. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Now at the end, that's going to be separated. Colossians chapter two. Am I going too fast? Okay. In Colossians chapter two, or in Colossians chapter one, rather, he talks about being, being uh, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. All right, so there's the third type of kingdom that you have here identified. By the way, when you deal with the kingdom, then you're dealing with the king and the ruler and the realm. So when a person is genuinely born into God's family, they are translated, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, namely Jesus Christ. That's a true born again individual. And then the fourth possibility that you have is this, namely the literal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is yet to come. Because the Bible teaches a literal kingdom. The Bible nowhere teaches what some call amillennialism, which simply means this, no kingdom on earth except a spiritual kingdom. Jesus just rules in our hearts. No, friend, listen. He said he's coming again. He said he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. The angelic being said, the same Jesus that you saw will surely come again and in great power and glory. Revelation 19, all these other verses are making very clear that he will set up a literal kingdom. Also, while we're at it, we will not usher in that kingdom. We cannot usher in that kingdom. post who think that we are bringing in the kingdom by spreading the gospel and doing good works and, and making things better in the world. Well, we are, but are we going to be the ones that we be the catalyst to the kingdom being set up? I don't think that's working like they think it is. 
But I'll tell you what will happen when he splits those eastern skies and he comes and sets up the kingdom, then there will be a kingdom on earth. Until then, we're in the interval. And that's what was so confusing to the disciples. Because ever since they was as little as a, as a mustard seed, they'd been taught, they'd been hearing, he's setting up his kingdom when Messiah comes. Well, Jesus didn't come in power and great glory like they thought. In fact, the Jews today are still rejecting Jesus as a Messiah because they think their Messiah will come and set up kingdom. Well, they're right, but they need to accept him now because Jesus is, his, Jesus is explaining to them the mysteries of the kingdom. This is something, in fact, if you look at verse 34 and 35, you see that this was from the foundation of the world. And he came to speak to them. It's actually a fulfillment of Psalm 78. He came to speak to them the mysteries of the kingdom. In other words, it's a mystery in the sense that it wasn't known to them and now it's being revealed. It's being revealed. But it wasn't like God had to come up with a plan B because his plan A did not work. His plan A has always been that he would send Messiah to suffer first, to die on the cross, and then he would send Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the self-same one that was crucified, buried, and raised again as a lamb that has been slain. He is standing today. He is there in heaven, and he will come again and set up his kingdom. And Jesus said the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a mustard seed. It starts small, but it's going to grow. They didn't get it. They didn't understand that. They thought the kingdom of God would come all of a sudden or suddenly. They thought it was going to be like that. Well, it is going to be like that when it's time. But Jesus is teaching them. He's helping us understand today that we still are in that interval of time where you have the opportunity to hear the gospel, where we have the opportunity to share and preach the gospel. And as we preach the word, more people get saved and added to the kingdom. And thus, in that sense, it is growing. But I want to make that very clear distinction that there is a clear distinction in God's word between Israel and the church, the churches. Yeah. I'm not just saying that because Rocky Hill is about to preach tonight and would straighten me out if I didn't. I'm saying that because that's Bible. Yeah. Amen? Amen. The kingdom of heaven is like a... Mustard seed. It's a, it's a little saying of their time, just like we have. I've known you since you was knee high to a grasshopper. How, how many of you have heard that? How many of you have said that? You say, I'm not saying stuff like that when I get older. You say it. Guarantee you say, I've known you since you was a little, so little. I've known you since you was knee high to a grasshopper. Well, that's pretty small. You, know, you think about how small a grasshopper is and you're knee high to a grasshopper. That's pretty small. Well, the idea is uh, Jesus is saying it's, it's going to start small. It's going to start small, like a grain of sand, we might say, or, or, or something like a speck of dust. You know what I mean? It's small. It would be the smallest seed that the, palace, that the farmers there in Israel would have, would have worked with, the smallest seed, and they would sow it there, and they'd hope that it would grow into this, into this great plant. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man sowed, let's look at it again, which is a man took and sowed in his field. And it is indeed the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh the tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. In other words, he's saying, yes, it's going to begin small, but it's going to grow. 
So much so that the birds of the air are going to rest in it or uh, um, set up their, their roost in it. What does that mean, birds of the air? Okay, hang on. Before you speculate into heresy, um, because what we need to know is Jesus didn't make all the parables and every detail of the parable symbolize something. I mean, the, the birds of the air have been uh, uh, identified by some as the Gentiles that would come into the kingdom. Uh, they've been identified as unbelievers that would be there that need to be out. My grandparents, I can still see the cherry tree at my grandparents' house and the uh, aluminum foil pans hanging in the trees, keep the birds out. Anybody else grew up in the country and know what I'm talking about and try to keep those birds out, all right? Some say it's demonic beings. That gets really weird. But they take that out of what Jesus said about the fowls of the air come and take away the seed. Well, look, you, you've got to be careful with Scripture because just because something meant one, one, something in one place does not mean it means that in every other place. Okay, so the birds of the air, what are they? Well, if this had been a parable where Jesus was teaching that like the wheat and the tares, then I think if he was trying to teach that, yes, it's going to grow and there's going to be some in there that don't belong. At the end of the parable, most likely he would have explained, just like with the wheat and the tares, those that are not believers are going to be removed. Here in just a few moments, he's going to uh, preach about the, the, uh, the net that's cast and it gathers in all types of fish and so forth. But again, the, the believers and unbelievers are going to be separated. Here, the birds are not separated. This is not necessarily a, a, a parable about the inclusion of Gentile people. That's not Jesus' intent. Here's his main intent. Here, here's why the birds are in the trees, You're in the mustard trees. You want to know why? Because it's really big. And they could just roost there. That's it. No, man, I think that's like the ecumenical movement, you know, that's moving in and all this is. <laughs> nope, it's just a big tree. That's all. Just a really big tree. Started small, itty bitty, but it got real big. Another parable spake he unto them. And I believe that these two are linked together, just like the next two that we'll consider together. You know, the treasure that's in the field and the pearl of precious price. We'll, we'll get to those. Um, boy, I, I was tempted to preach it all together, but it's too much. We, we just need to stay at the right pace and really mind this thing out because that'll talk about the value of the kingdom. But here's talking about the growth of the kingdom. Another parable spake he unto them. Let's look at it again in verse number 33. I want to make sure I'm getting this quoted right. Verse 33 says, Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Okay? Now, typically, you read leaven, you think, uh, 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 bad stuff. Because, you know, Jesus even said the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, true. And in that context... Leaven, in fact, um, at the Lord's Supper time, we talk about get all the leaven out, get all the yeast out, get it out because in the Passover, they didn't have time for bread to rise. By the way, Jews eat leavened bread. Amen. If I was a Jew, I'd be real glad that I could eat leavened bread. I noticed that when you go to Lambert's, they're not throwing unleavened bread across the room <laughs> like a Frisbee. Nope, they're not. It's a roll. It's a roll. You've been there. Am I talking about something you don't know? You, <laughs> it's a roll. It's risen. And it's got yeast in it. That's what makes it good. And it, which, by the way, I actually, I like unleavened bread too. But, but anyways, don't mess up my illustration. So um, 
But here uh, it had leaven in it, and so it would rise. Leviticus 7, Leviticus 23. Some of the offerings that even God prescribed for the Jews to bring was leavened bread. Not always unleavened bread. So I'm just simply saying to you, be careful with the Bible. Just because leaven is bad in this context does not mean that it's bad in this context. You got to go by the context. Context is king. Okay, context is king. And so you get some really weird interpretations of this, of this particular parable where the woman is the harlot of the book of Revelation and the ecumenical movement is what she's bringing in and she's leavening the whole church, the whole kingdom of God and, and causing all kinds of dissension and false doctrine to go in there. Fanciful. Fanciful, that's not what Jesus was teaching. He's simply saying this, the kingdom starts really small, but it, it has a permanent permeating effect on the whole. That's what he's saying. They link together. In fact, three measures of meal, um, if I remember my notes right, it'd be like 75 pounds of flour. That's a lot to need. Am I right, ladies? I mean, I, or, or gentlemen that cook more than I, or, well, which would be if you cook at all. And so... Needing that much, man, I love going. There's a, there's a real good uh, pizza place up in Bethany that we like a lot called Papa Angelo's. It's a New York style uh, pizza. You don't eat ranch with it because that's an offense. It doesn't need ranch. You don't do that. You, don't, you go to New York City, you get shot if you use ranch in your pizza. Am I telling the truth? I don't know if you get shot, but they don't like ranch with their pizza because it's good enough just like it is. Anyways, totally a side note, but, but I, I watch as they're building that Empire Pizza and, and uh, I'm forgetting his name right now, but we kind of got to know the family a little bit, but man, he's from the Bronx and his, his accent is just, I mean, just right, you know. I mean, it's a New York-style pizza place. And, and, but I watch as, you know, they, they toss that big old, I mean, it's a lot of dough, and then they're putting it in there, and it rises, you know, as much as the pizza's going to rise and such. Awesome, awesome. Okay, I'm totally sidetracked right here. But uh, I'm just saying it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a big, it's a big old lump. It's a, it's a big old loaf that of, of, of this dough that's there. But you just take that leaven. And ladies, you could help me here more than, than I would know. You, you just put some of that yeast in and you, you insert it there. It's, it's unseen. It's not noticeable. You know, I mean, when my grandmother, whenever, or my wife, she just made some wonderful bread. And, and, and when she did that, I wasn't actually there to see it. But even if I was, I wouldn't say, oh, there's a yeast right there. There's the, there's 11 right there. I, w I wouldn't even know. It's hidden. Am I right about that? Help me out. It's hidden. It's undetected. It's small in comparison to the whole lump, but my, doesn't it have it a wonderful effect? Jesus says the, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that's small and then it grows. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that is small and hidden, unde unde undetected by the world perhaps or unknown, you know, but it has small, but it has a permeated effect and it affects the whole. 12 men, one of them doesn't even belong because he's a traitor and a betrayer. The women that were gathered around, uneducated, fishermen. In fact, here's the only, way, here's the only link I see between leaven having a negative connotation because I don't think that's how Jesus is using it here. He's using it about growth. But the only negative I could see would be simply this, that the people around them would view Peter, James, and John, and, and, and especially Levi as, a, as part of the IRS of, of Rome, the publican, the tax collector, they would view them as leaven, undesirables. In our society, Jesus took that little bit of leaven and inserted it 
in Jerusalem. <laughs> well, before that, he inserted it in Galilee and the cities around Galilee. He inserted that, that little bit of leaven. And you compare the mighty Sanhedrin, 70 strong men, theologically astute, theologically, theologically educated, wealthy and powerful, mind you, Wealthy and powerful. I mean, the elite of Jerusalem, the elite of Israel, and then the courses of priests on top of that, the priesthood, I'm telling you, we're talking about a religious machine to be reckoned with. Verses 12 simple men. You're not even educated. How did you know that? And your leader, yes, he's a Jewish rabbi, but we know him as a carpenter's son. He didn't sit and train in our temples. He doesn't know our scriptures. He wrote them. <laughs> what will this little band do? What will this little group do that's hiding in Jerusalem now that their Messiah has been, their Messiah has been crucified. What will this little band do? What will they become? Peter stood and preached and the leavening effect began to take hold. 3,000 were saved and later 5,000 were saved. They got so upset with this little band, this little church, this little Baptist church that was there. They got so upset with this little Baptist church that they said, you filled your, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. It's like you're trying to take over Jerusalem. And then it spread to the north and, and, and it went into Antioch. And then it went from Antioch into the region of Galilee. And then it kept spreading. I'm talking about the leavening effect. It kept rising. Can I use that in terminology? It kept growing from a little bitty seed. It kept growing. And it came to Thessalonica. And then it came to Berea. And it came to the house of Jason. And they said, these that have turned the world upside down. You talking about this little mustard seed that's turned the world upside down. You're talking about this little leaven that's turned the world upside down. Yes, that's them. Then it goes on down into Ephesus and, and, and it has an impact there so much so that the people that were in the idol making industry said, you better stop this because they're going to mess up. We're going to go into recession of, in the idol making industry. And mind you that, that Ephesus was a very large metropolitan area. And so here was this little, here was this little preacher named Paul. I'm not trying to be derogatory to him. Here's this little man named Paul who's, who maybe is having a hard time getting around, maybe can't hardly even see, and having a hard time, you know, getting stoned in every city, beat up in every city. Here's this little man named Paul with his associates, and they're having such an impact in Ephesus that they said, listen, we better do something about this. Yeah. It starts small, but it grows. You know why? Very simply understood. It's not the kingdom of men. It was not the kingdom of earth. Jesus did not say, another parable speak I unto you about the kingdom of earth. No, he did not say that, friend. And he did not say this either. He did not say the kingdom of this preacher. The kingdom of this famous preacher that's nationally known. He did not say the kingdom of this church. He did not say the kingdom of this Bible college. He said the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God 
If it were the kingdom of men, and if it were the kingdom of preachers, and the kingdom of Bible colleges, and the kingdom of churches, little church plants meeting in little storefront buildings, it was man trying to do what man could do, it would come to naught. But since it's kingdom of heaven, and it's got the supply of heaven, and it's got the authority of heaven, and it's got the power of God upon it, then listen, friend, you can't stop it, even if you try to persecute it out of business, even if you try to stop it. Listen, you may try to tune it out this morning, but God in heaven cares about you, and his word is, is like a hammer that breaks the hardest of hearts into pieces. And he has a way of breaking through and getting through to your heart and your soul and your mind making you realize that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to save yourself but that Jesus did everything that needs to be done was buried and rose again that you might be saved and this very day you could be saved. Amen. And here's what happens. The kingdom of God grows again. And then it grows again, 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 then it grows again. So much so that you have a group up here named Redeemed and Assurance. One of those young ladies came to Southwest Baptist Church through the bus ministry. Now she's traveling all over the United States of America, wherever they go, singing the praises of God. You know why? Because God reached her. Amen. One of these young ladies was, adopt was adopted into a pastor's home because her home was in a mess. And now she's singing the praises of God. That's the power of God. It's not the power of man. It's not the power of man's persuasion. That's the power of God at work there. And you're here today because of the power of God, friend. It may start small, but it grows when God's in it. In fact, I might say it this way, little is much. I'm quoting page 525 in the hymnal. Little is much, little is much when God is in it. Little is much. You say, what will, what will this little church on the south side of town do? What will this little church on the south side of town do meeting in this little concrete building? Well, they'll begin to grow and they'll build Sunday school classrooms and create the Pottawatomie Pass. <laughs> and they'll outgrow. They'll outgrow that little auditorium. By the way, you can't determine the significance of something based on its size. Just because there's a church planter somewhere in New Jersey or a church planter somewhere in Uganda that's meeting with him and his family, maybe one other person, other people say, you're so insignificant, you're not having an impact. You can't determine it by its size. They outgrew that auditorium and they built another one in 1963 and then outgrew that auditorium and God put it on the heart of Bert Harrison, the pastor of this church here, to build this auditorium in really big scale. And people were wondering, why in the world are you building it this big? I'm glad he did. And every now and then we kind of max it out. You know why? It's not the kingdom of man. It's the kingdom of God. And as long as we keep it as the kingdom of God, then God will continue to grow it. It's his church anyways. It's not our church. It's not my church, not your church, not, not the people of 1951. It wasn't their church then. It's not our church now in, in 2022. It's not our church now. But here's what happened. It's, it's happening just like Jesus said it would. Having an impact on lives in here. So much so that a struggling Bible college in San Dimas, California that could hardly meet its bills, I mean, was having emergency offering after emergency offering after emergency offering, people not getting paid, students not getting fed. By their own choice, saying, yes, I'll go without, or, and, and, and students even not getting paid at times. Hey, listen, we got it real good right now, students. You better never forget, though. 
the price that was paid for us to even be here. And, and so, so much so that as they were struggling out there in California, which I could understand because when I was there just about two or three, two weeks ago, gas was $6 a gallon. I was glad to get back to Oklahoma. Well, the wisdom of, the, of God, I think, was on the move. And, and a little Bible college of 97 students, if I'm not, uh, not mistaken there, Brother Dr. House could help me as the registrar at that time. And 97 students, I think it was. It might have been 98, but it was 97 students, I think, in 1998 came here. And now we enrolled this year 398, I think it was, this past fall. And that's even after a, after a major pandemic. God's still blessing. I'm telling you, it's not the kingdom of man. It's not the kingdom of a preacher. It's not the kingdom of a Bible college. It's the kingdom of God. We ought to let him do his work and let him permeate a society, however and whenever and wherever he wants to do so. Amen. So much so that I talked to a young man yesterday that grew up down in Mulgee and he was on drugs, had to go to the ranch down there in Eufaula, get his life straightened out. And now he's pastoring a church up in Kansas. It's the power of God. It's the power of the word of God. And God has sent so many students here through the years and let us have a little, hopefully good leavening effect on them. If we're bad leaven, then God deal with us. But if we're good leaven, and they say, I'm glad the little boy that used to be hard to deal with on the bus stood up on the bus and told the gospel or preached the message about what he learned that day. Because mm. little is much when God is in it. I don't know that little boy that rides bus five, but maybe he's the next pastor of Southwest Baptist Church. I guess I better meet him. <laughs> Start training him. <laughs> Little as much when God is in it. I'm forgetting the lady's name that wrote the song now. It's in my notes, but if you want to look at it later, it's on page 525. She was on a train along with others, and they hit a blizzard, and it caused the train to have to stop, and, and they were fearful that they might freeze to death. So the conductor got out of the train and went to this little farmhouse, and the man went with him by lantern back and led all those people back to his home and so that they could be warm for the night. Well, one of those ladies, the author of the song, wrote, wrote this man back and said, thank you for taking us into your home. They started writing, and then they got married. His little trip out there to the train and bringing them back, that would have been a little act of kindness, but little as much when God is in it. They were in a home in uh, Kansas, I think it was, and um, a pastor by the last name of Shea, S-H-E-A, Shea, I'm forgetting his first name right now, but he had a son named George Beverly. And <laughs> George Beverly uh, went up to where they were pastoring, where he was pastoring this man. Eventually, I didn't tell this part of the story, that man that married her became a pastor and they were up in Canada and they asked George Beverly Shea if he'd come up and be with them for an evangelistic meeting for a month or so. And she was there playing the piano and he was trying to hit a high note and his voice cracked while he was trying to hit that high note and he was so humbled by that and he sat down and never wanted to sing again. She worked with him a little bit later and lowered it and he began to sing low and with a crystal clear baritone voice and he kept singing and kept singing and kept singing and now he, well, he's in heaven now, but kept singing and went, you know, on the circuit with, uh, 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 what's his name? Billy Graham. <laughs> How do you forget a name like that? <laughs> oh, mercy. But George Beverly Shea, I'm glad 
She said, let's lower that a little bit. Just a little, a little bit, but little is much when God is in it. Look, you never know how God might use that one little track that you hand out. You never know how God might use that one devotion that you give to your family. You may think your kids aren't paying any attention at all, but you never know how God might use that to get through to them. You might not know how God might use one revival meeting, how God might use one missionary that we send, or how God might use one bus rider that we, that we uh, pick up and bring here. You may not know how God might use one of these students to do His great will. And here's what we need to bear in mind. And don't get discouraged. Don't get defeated. Don't get fearful and don't think, oh man, come on, let's grow. Let's just do this. Let's be faithful to what God has given us to do and see that little is much when God's in it. And then our role is to make sure just that God's in it and that we only do our part and we don't take too much in it. Because much is little when God ain't in it. Remember when Brother Sam sang that song? Much is little when God ain't in it. I want to work on it this way. Little is much when God is in it. Let's stand together here this morning. Little as much when God is in it. Humble beginnings, humble beginnings have a global impact when God's in it. When God's in it. You may be thinking about yourself right now and, and your situation, thinking, what can God do in my life? I'm insignificant. I'm not, I'm not well educated. I'm not wealthy. I don't, have, I don't have power. I don't have a position. You don't have to have an influence. You just need to know God because He's got wealth. He's got power. He's got position. First of all, have you been saved? I tried to insert the gospel. Just a little bit of gospel, though, is all you need to hear because you could be saved today. I hope you'd walk the aisle today and say, you know, I want to get this matter settled. I want to get it settled. But today, let's remember the value of little things because of who God is. And let's, let's commit ourselves, church. Let's commit ourselves, regardless of what the results are. Let's just do what God wants us to do, to be faithful, to be faithful, teaching classes, running buses, passing out tracks, being kind, doing a good deed at somebody's house, you know, helping out with a car or something like that. You never know where that might go. Yeah. Lord God, help us. I'm thankful that little is much when you're in it. I love the song. I love the story that I heard about it today as well. God, um, I just pray that you'd help us to commit ourselves to being the type of disciples that you started there. God, I know we've got to pray because everything depends on you. And then we've got to work because you've set us to it. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us, Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you've called us to do, to start more churches. Lord, I pray for the surrounding area, just like in Shawnee, there's areas near Oklahoma City that need a church. There's parts of Oklahoma City that need a new church. I pray you'd help us, dear God, to be that catalyst, to be that leaven, to be that little mustard seed, do our part. I thank you, dear God. I thank you, dear God, for the people that you saved at Southwest Baptist Church through the years. I thank you for every student, this being Heartland Sunday, I thank you for every student that has made their way to Oklahoma City, and we wanna be a good influence on them. Now bless this invitation time, I pray, in Jesus' name.